We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and Yeshua is laying out for His disciples what life in the kingdom should look like, what life in the kingdom is like. And at the start of chapter 5, He told us the reward of living a life in the kingdom. It was what He termed ashray in Hebrew or blessed as it's been translated in our Bibles. But we look at that and it really means secure, content and happy are those who live like this. Happy is the life spent living with Yeshua, a life led by the Spirit. And it's characterized by security and contentment. After that, he begins to redefine some of the commands of God, telling us how they were intended to be lived out, with loving your neighbor at the very core of each one of those commands. And so, as we saw as last week, true disciples of Yeshua will be so secure and content with life and God's ability to keep them through life that they will show generosity toward their brothers. That generosity will extend into every area of their life. Your giving, your prayer, your fasting. And last week we also looked at verses where Yeshua seems to be teaching His disciples how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But understand, please, that these aren't the words He expects us to pray. God would much rather hear your heart in prayer than have you repeat someone else's prayer over and over again. Many people teach, as they teach this prayer that Yeshua gave, they teach about the beauty of the prayer and try and show its relationship to some other beautiful liturgical prayers of the day. But I don't find that that is really the beauty of the prayer. And I don't think that it's Yeshua's heart in teaching His disciples this prayer. Let's, let's read it again in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You see, the beauty of this prayer is not the words, but it's that a, it is a prayer for others. It's a prayer of a heart so grieved for his brothers. And that's why it says, Father, give us, forgive us, lead us. Yeshua is teaching his people to pray for others, to intercede for others. You know, I'm a firm believer that everyone in God's kingdom was prayed in by someone. Someone took the time to pray for you and for I. And God responded. Someone stood in our place interceding for us because we were too engulfed in and by the world to realize that we even needed God. And so they stood in our stead and prayed, Lord, forgive us, keep us. And God responded. Let me tell you how I know that the Lord's Prayer is not just words to pray. You remember that we spent a good week looking at the concept of a disciple and his teacher, his rabbi. And how the rabbi would travel about with their disciples. And the disciples would be learning the teachings of the rabbi word for word. They would be learning the blessings and the prayers that he prayed. How he prayed, when he prayed. So that when the rabbi was finished 
and the disciple was fully trained, he would be a copy of his rabbi, teaching the same teachings, praying the same way, saying the same blessings, and walking through life in the same, with the same walk. And while thinking about those things, remember that Yeshua is making disciples here. He's trying to make copies of himself. And this entire prayer is four verses long. This prayer takes all of about two or three minutes to recite in a prayerful way. And less for many. And you know, for many, this makes up their entire prayer life. But Yeshua is making disciples. And so with all of that in mind, let's see how he prayed. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 says, One of those days Yeshua went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. And so here we're told that Yeshua spent the night praying. And in the morning when he had finished, he called his disciples. This is not a solitary instance of his getting away by himself to pray. But we're going to find as we read through the Gospels that Yeshua prayed for great lengths of time on numerous occasions. Preparing himself, strengthening himself, getting the word of the Lord. Listen to what Matthew 14 verse 22 says. Immediately Yeshua made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Again, we see Yeshua. He goes off by himself. He's gone a considerable length of time and he's praying. But you know where the real clincher comes? It comes when he's in the garden, the night that he's betrayed. Listen to what Luke chapter 22 and verse 39 says. And Yeshua went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And the angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he went back to the disciples and found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And so Yeshua is praying, and I want you to note that his prayers are so intense that he had to be strengthened by angels. He sweat and he bled as he prayed. Now to this prayer, Matthew adds that he said to his disciples, Could you not watch with me for one hour? Could you not pray with me for one hour? Which tells us how long he prayed. I have to tell you that it's hard for me to imagine that he sat there and said, 15 or 20 our fathers. Not just that, but he tells his disciples that they should have prayed with him that hour. And I don't think that he's recommending that his disciples say 20 our fathers either. So if he taught them the Lord's Prayer, then what was he really trying to convey to them in that teaching? Well, we don't get a clue as to the content of Yeshua's prayer here in the garden, but we do get a clue in the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says, During the days of Yeshua's life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered and once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so we're told that Yeshua offered up prayers while on this earth and that he became a source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And how is it that he became that source of eternal salvation? Well, of course he came and he was a sin offering for those who accept him. But we see something else as well. Those people, you and I, who have accepted Yeshua as the Messiah and as our sin offering, in order for us, for them to hear, their hearts needed to be opened. Our hearts needed to be opened. And so it's more than just that. It was prayer for the Spirit of God to open the hearts of men. And so we might infer that Yeshua was in prayer and intercession for others. Praying for others' hearts to be opened to the message of the good news. And if we combine that with chapter 7, we can be sure that that's what it was. Verse 23 says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Yeshua lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. The prayer Yeshua offered up was for us. You see, that's the pattern that he lays out in the Lord's Prayer. And it's a pattern that he lived. And if we're disciples, then we'll spend not just three minutes a day reciting the Lord's Prayer or reading from some prayer book, but we'll spend some time on our faces crying out to God about the lives being lost in this world about the decay we see in the world, the destruction we see in the world, and not just prayer, because after we pray, we'll get up and we'll go out into the world and put our hands to tikkun olam, to restoring the world and God's kingdom to the world. Yaakov, James, in chapter 2 of his book, makes it clear it's not enough to pray. But we have to put our faith in action. So here's what Yeshua is saying thus far. If you are a disciple of Yeshua, then your life will be like His, filled with intercession for the world. A life like His will be spent in pursuit of the kingdom of God in your life. And it will be spent giving to those who are in need. Now get this as we just briefly review chapter... He begins this... Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, with giving. And doing your giving in secret without any expectation of reward, but because you love your fellow man. In verses 5 through 14, he speaks of prayer, and not just prayer, but prayer for your fellow man, intercession for those who need help. And yet, and this is a form of giving of your time and of carrying the burden for the Lord, for the lost in the world. And then in verses 16 through 17, he speaks of fasting. And it's a fasting of giving that denies yourself to see the relief of others. 
And the meaning is plain. In verse 19 through 24, he tells us not to store up treasure in this life. And again, the meaning is plain. Give your wealth away in this life and store up for yourself treasures, good deeds in the world to come. You see, the whole chapter is about giving and generosity. It's about living a life of giving and caring for your brother. And then, in verse 25, he says this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his stature? You see what he says? He says, therefore I say to you. In other words, because of these things that I've spoken to you about, and the necessity for you to do these things, I say to you, don't worry. Yeshua is telling us that it is our worries about life, about having enough, that keep us from being generous. Worry is a failure to trust God to provide for us. Worry keeps us from praying for others. Keeps us praying for ourselves rather than others. Worry does not allow us to fast in the way the Lord has laid out for us. Worry keeps us from our prayer closets. Therefore I say to you, not Rabbi so-and-so, but he says, I say to you, do not worry. Do not give much thought. Do not give much concern about these things. Above he said, you can't serve two masters, God and money. Well, worry is the cause of vacillating between the two. It's anxiety that keeps you from prayer. Oh, I have to get, I have to get this done or I have to get that done or I'm late to work. I won't have time to get to Starbucks for my coffee. Well, it's faith that brings you to your knees because you know that the might, you need the mighty one to get through the day. It's anxiety that keeps you from giving. Oh, if I give, I won't be able to do this or I won't be able to do that or I won't have money for my 401k this month. While it's faith that you know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and that He provides for His children, it's faith that allows the widow to put her might into the offering box. It's faith that brings you to giving your wealth in this age and your comfort in this age for life in Yeshua and a life with Yeshua in the coming age. Worry and anxiety and despair are the result of making money your master. Blessing, happiness and security and joy are the result of making Yeshua your master. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry. You may think that having money makes worries go away. But I'm going to tell you that having money doesn't make anything better. Listen to what Rabbi Hillel says. He said, lots of meat, lots of worms, lots of properties, lots of worries. You see, having money just gives you more to worry about. 
Worry has nothing to do with money. People with money worry. People without money worry. Worry is not about money. Worry is a condition of the heart. Worry is a lack of faith. And before we look at specifically about giving that Yeshua is speaking of here, let's take a look at worry. You know, the Greek word for worry, as it's, as it's translated here in our Bibles, the King James said, translated it a little differently. It says, give no thought. It doesn't say worry. It says, give no thought. In other words, be not overly concerned. You know that there's a fruit. There is a fruit to being overly concerned, to not trusting God. But you don't want that fruit in your life. Let's look at the father of our faith because his life was not without concern or worry. Listen to what is said of Abraham in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. And so Abram had been living in the Canaan ten years. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. It was worry about having no children, even though God had already promised Abraham a son that brought about the birth of Ishmael. Now one doesn't have to look too far at the world or into history to see what problems have arisen out of just this one moment of of worry. The fruit of this worry, this momentary lack of trust, has been centuries of problems for the promised offspring of Abraham. And this wasn't the only time that Abraham was so tripped up. In chapter 20, verse 11, we read, And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. You see, worry is simply a lack of trust that God can keep you, that God can keep the promises that he's made to you. And it begins with just a thought, just the way any sin does. And it grows and it grows until it's acted upon and then it's full-blown sin. Now, I showed you these because our father Abraham is our father through faith. And so it might be of some small comfort to you that even Abraham, our father through faith, even this man whose faith was so great that he's called the father of our faith, and a friend of God had his moments. If you're worrying, you're not following the Holy One because he worries not. Yeshua worries not. Well, it's the same thing that Yeshua says keeps us from being givers that he would have us be. To show this, he continues with some basic things. He says, he said, remember he said this, he said, he says, what you eat or what you will drink, nor your body, nor what you put on. He tells us not even to worry about the basic necessities. 
And in this country, you know, not many of us have to worry too much about basic necessities. So it's a mite hard to relate to some of these things. But again, think of the words of Hillel. Lots of meat, lots of worms, lots of property, lots of worries. Plenty of meat, plenty of life is not without its worries. Plenty in life is not without its worries. And if you don't believe me, just ask the rich man that Yeshua will encounter later in his ministry. If you worry about little, you'll worry about much as well. Because it's a condition of the heart. It's not a condition of your finances. And so Yeshua, he he went on to say, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add up a cubit to his stature? Yeshua's words are also reflected in the words of a later rabbi who says almost the same thing. He says, Whosoever has a piece of bread in his basket says, What shall I eat tomorrow? Belongs only to them who are of little faith. Life is not about food and clothes It's about Father clothing you, caring for you, because you're His. It doesn't make any difference what you worry about. Worry is the opposite of faith. And so Yeshua continues in verse 28, He says, And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field. They do not labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says, don't concern yourself with these things, because the pagans, or we could say the unbelievers concern themselves with these things. He equates worry with being an unbeliever. And it's true, you have no faith if you worry. They have to, the pagans have to worry about lots of things. That's why they got kitchen gods and harvest gods and gods for this and gods for that. But if you know Yeshua, you know God and you know that He fed Israel in the wilderness day after day. Bread. Yeshua fed 5,000 with just a few loaves. How much more will he feed you? Rabbi Eliezer said something very similar. Listen to what he says. Have you ever seen a wild beast or a bird who has a trade? Yet they get along without difficulty. And were they not created only to serve me? And I was created to serve my master. These things, this life, this world is out to be your master. But you are to have one master. And that is the Lord. He owns all of this. And so don't be concerned, don't concern yourself with this life and these things, but concern yourself with pleasing Him. And if you concern yourself with pleasing Him, He'll concern Himself with pleasing you. And so Yeshua says, Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that. As long as the rulers of this age are in control, 
there are going to be things to worry about. Because they're the authors of worry. God is the author of blessing, joy, and contentment. So make Him your master and everything else will be added to you. You cannot do the things Yeshua tells us to do in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 6, and particularly chapter 6, and worry. Because worry will keep you from these things. And not doing these things will keep you from being blessed. Worry will keep you from all the blessings at the start of chapter 5, from the joy and the contentment that Yeshua spoke of. You know, I hear people say things like, you know, you cannot give God. And for sure, I'm sure that you cannot give God, but we often don't live that saying out. I want to read it from James. And he tells us part of the reason we fail. But he also tells us how important it is in, in verse 14. He says, What does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We looked at this last night because we're looking at the book of Yaakov. And notice it says, show me your faith without deeds. You know something? You can't do that. That's an impossibility. You cannot show your faith without deeds. There's no way to do that. And that's exactly what his point is. And then he says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. You think about it. There's no other way to show your faith to anyone other than by what you do. Which again is his point. And I like to, and the thing I like to point out is the only way that you can show you're alive is do something. In fact, if you don't move every now and then, you know what they do? They bury you. <laughs> and that's exactly the point Yaakov is making. He's pointing to works that show a living faith. And doing nothing is a faith that's dead. It is not faith. The opportunities presented to you in this life to do good works are testings and chances for you to overcome and reflect the kingdom of God to the world. Faith is knowing that God is control. Faith, simply stated in Scripture, is faith in what is unseen. And where he says, will he not much more clothe you? You should understand that that's a rabbinic form of argument that was popular in Yeshua's day. Kol vahomer. And it's to argue from the least to the greatest, to the obvious. And so the argument is, did not God create and care for the lilies and the grass, which are so unimportant that they're here today and gone tomorrow. How much more will He care for you who He's made to be part of His kingdom, part of His eternal kingdom, to give Him praises for eternity? How much more will He care for you? Amen? Let's bring the worship team back up.